Good day, saints of God. Welcome to another episode of Talking Bible Truth with Dr. Kamala D. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D., here to help you grow in faith and walk in God's amazing grace. Now, today's episode is entitled, A New Covenant with Better Promises. It is a special episode because of the content. It may take about three to four episodes. So I decided to turn this into a mini series. Yes, that's right. A mini series. I want to make sure that you get the truth. And you know, Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth shall make you free. So part one will be more or less an introduction into the old covenant that God had with Abraham, which is the Abrahamic covenant. And then he made a covenant with Moses, which is the Mosaic covenant that he had with Moses with the children of Israel. So I want you to sit back, put on your spirit of truth hats, put your scuba gear on because we are going to go in deep waters. So sit back and enjoy. Okay, saints of God, let's go to our lead scriptures. They are found in Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Now, before we move forward, I have a disclaimer. I am not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. I'm not trying to trample on anyone's traditions. I am not trying to trample on anyone's denominations. I am not trying to prove me right and you wrong. What my job is, is to share with you the truth as it relates to these scriptures. My job is to rightly divide the truth. God gave everybody free will. So when you hear something, that is contrary to what you have been believing over the years, you either accept the truth as it is or you continue on what you have been believing over the years. My job is not to change you. My job is to give you the truth because knowing the truth shall make you free. Okay? I want you to be free just like I was set free. And if you don't know the truth, the truth can't set you free. I know what, what I'm about to teach is contrary to what you have been learning over the years, where at least some of you. That's why this is for adults. This is meat. This is not milk. This is for adults. This is why I say bring the spirit of truth with you because without it, you ain't gonna get it. Nah, you are not gonna get this. But I want you to sit back with an open mind and an open heart to receive the truth. Because if the spirit of truth searches your heart and there's a roadblock there, you ain't going to get it. You ain't going to get it. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 8 verses 6 through 13 and I am beginning at verse 6. But now had he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. Verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Verse 8. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Verse 9. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Verse 11. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his, his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. Verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. 
verse 13. In that he saith a new covenant, he had made the first, the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxed old is ready to vanish away. End of verse 13. A new covenant with better promises. Christ is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. This means that the old covenant no longer exists. Now let's talk about the old covenant before we move into this very strong message. We are going into to some deep waters, people. Put on that scuba gear. Now, there are certain denominations whose teachings are based on the Old Testament, or, or rather the law. Unfortunately, these denominations have not made a distinction between the Abrahamic covenant and the covenant founded on the, on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, God gave and established a covenant with Abraham for one primary purpose, and that purpose was to bring into existence a people who would have a special relationship, a covenant relationship with God. Now, out of this special group, the redeemer of mankind would come. Now, God informed Satan in Genesis chapter 3 that the seed of the woman would bruise his head and Satan would bruise his heel. Now, this is the first mention in the Bible of the giving and coming of a redeemer or what we call today a savior. That was the first time it was mentioned in the Bible, back in Genesis chapter, chapter 3. Now, in the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis, God called Abraham and told him to come out from, from his father's house into a land he would show him. Now, God told Abraham that he would make of him a great nation and that he would establish his covenant with him. That's in Genesis chapter, chapter 17, by the way. Now, out of the loins of Abraham came a nation that had never been on the face of the earth before. And out of that nation came the redeemer of world kind. You got that? Now, at a certain period of time, Abraham produced a son called Isaac. Isaac produced a son called Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. One of these 12 sons was named jo Joseph. Now, the other sons became very envious and jealous of their brother Joseph. Y'all know the story. And they sold him into slavery in Egypt. Now, God was with Joseph and showed him a lot of favor. Now, eventually, Joseph was elevated to become the second highest ranking person in the nation of Egypt. The ruler of Egypt at the time was Pharaoh, and, and he had a dream that bothered him. Now, God gave Joseph the interpretation of that dream, which Joseph explained to Pharaoh, and he informed the ruler that there would be seven years of prosperity, or like the Bible says, plenty, followed by seven years of famine. Now, the king wanted to know what could they do to prepare for this, this famine. So God gave Joseph the wisdom to know what to do. And he informed the king the same thing God informed him to share. Now Egypt collected all of the food and, and they rationed it out during the seven uh, plenteous years, the prosperous years, so that they would have enough during the lean years, you know, with, during famine. Now the end result was that because of Joseph's success in Egypt, Jacob, his sons, and their descendants came to Egypt to live. You know, Pharaoh welcomed Joseph's family with open arms, and he gave them a place uh, of residence in the suburbs. It was a land called Goshen. Okay, stay with me now. Now, as time went on, the children of Israel, which is the name God gave Joseph, prospered and multiplied in the land of Egypt. You know, eventually, Joseph died. Then Jacob, I'm sorry, then Jacob and his sons died. A new king came on the scene and sat on the throne in Egypt. And he didn't know Joseph. And he was not kind to the children of Israel because, you know, it was a lot of them and they were prosperous. They were very wealthy. He enslaved them and took away all of the privileges that they enjoyed under Pharaoh. 
Now the Israelites, they cried out to God. And after about 400 years, God sent a man named Joseph. I'm sorry, a man named Moses. All right. He sent Moses, their deliverer. Now, when Moses and the children of Israel left Egypt, they left a mighty nation. I mean, they left a great nation. And Moses led them out of captivity across the Red Sea and on towards a land flowing with milk and honey called the Promised Land. Y'all know the story. Now, at that time, all they had was, was a memory of the covenant and the seal of that covenant, which was circumcision. Excuse me. They had no law. They had no priesthood and they had no religious or spiritual teachings, none whatsoever. Now, they came to Mount Sinai and through Moses, God gave, he gave them the law of the covenant. Okay, stick with me now. The law is that which allows the covenant to be manifested. Now, the covenant is what God established. The law is what the Israelites had to do so that God would be free to bring pass to, to, to bring to them the benefits of the covenant. Okay. I got a lot of notes here, a lot of notes. So bear with me now, y'all. Now he had established benefits of the covenant with them. Okay. They had to keep the law in order for God to bring to pass those benefits. Now he gave them the priesthood. You can write this down. He gave them sacrifices. He gave them offerings and the interpretation of the law. Now, all the things God expected Israel to observe and, and to perform were in the law. Now, the priesthood and everything associated with it were given to the Israelites only. They were not given to the Gentiles. And in case you don't know what a Gentile is, anybody who is not a Jew, if you are not a Jew, you are a Gentile. Now, the Gentiles were never given these laws, nor did the Gentiles ever have any part in the benefits of the law. Now, as long as the children of Israel kept the law of the covenant un unbroken and unviolated, and this is an historical fact, that there was no sickness or disease among the whole nation. I want y'all to write that down here. There was no sickness and disease amongst the whole nation as long as the children of Israel kept the laws of Moses. Nor could any nation stand against them. You know, if they had to go into combat or warfare, no other nation could stand up against them. Now, when the Israelites violated the law, they got in serious trouble with God. Serious trouble. Now, Israel began to digress from God and, and they wandered into selfishness, greed, and idolatry. Now, as a result, they opened the door for a heathen nation called Babylon. And this nation was under a king called Nebuchadnezzar. And this allowed them, when I say this, them being in violation with the laws of Moses allowed Nebuchadnezzar to overcome them. Now, this heathen nation came to Jerusalem, the seat of the nation of Israel. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple he took away the golden vessels and everything that was in the temple and carried off the children of Israel as captives into a country called Babylon. Are you with me? The Israelites were faced day and night with extreme heathenism, but Almighty God intervened while they were in captivity and set them free from idol worship. Okay? He set them free from idol worship because they had turned away from God. Remember, they were in violation of the law. You can find all this written in Genesis, but, but come on. I want you to hang with me now. Now, God used several men to keep the law alive among the Israelites during their Babylonian captivity. Among them was a man named Daniel. He interpreted the king's dream and a mysterious handwriting on a wall and was miraculously delivered from the lion's den. He was unscathed. He was unscratched. He was unharmed. Now, these events so shook the heathen nation that King Nebuchadnezzar declared that Daniel's God was the true and living God, and he alone was to be worshipped. Not Daniel, the God of Daniel, okay? Then were, there were the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
Now they were given the opportunity to worship the golden image the king had uh, created because they refused to worship the image. The king had had them thrown into a fiery furnace that was turned up seven times hotter than it normally would be. Boy, that king was a monster here. Now, when he looked inside the furnace, instead of seeing the three persons, the three Hebrew boys, he saw a fourth person walking around with them. Now, this so shook the king that he declared that the God of the three Hebrew boys was the God who was to be worshipped. But see, the king, out of his ignorance, didn't know that the same God of Daniel is the same God and was the same God of the three Hebrew boys. Okay. God, Jehovah, Yahweh. That's the God we serve. Okay. Now, eventually the children of Israel were set free from, from their Babylonian captivity. Now, but from the time of Daniel until the time of Christ, the Israelites became separate in their thinking. And they gradually moved away from the dictates of the true law. Okay. They did not get into idol worship to the extent that they, you know, that they could have if, if they had remained in Babylon, but, but they got away from the law, the covenant that God had established with them. Okay. They removed themselves from under the law, from under the covenant that was established with God through Moses and Abraham. Now, they started adding a lot of their, their traditions to the law. But by the time Jesus came on the scene, there were several, several different benefits in circulation regarding the, the supposed law. Now, represented by several different groups, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the scribes had started interpreting their own law. Now, by this time, the law had become so messed up, you know, that it did not even look anything like what God had originally given Moses. Okay. I mean, the laws had just been messed up with man's traditions. Now the law was not given to the Gentile nation, like I said before, but only to God's covenant people, the sons of Abraham. Now Jesus actually interpreted the law the way it should have been interpreted which is why they didn't understand why Jesus was doing certain things because the laws were so messed up. They didn't recognize the true law when Jesus was doing it. Jesus kept the entire law. You know, he called Israel back to the covenant and, and challenged them to leave their traditions and the teachings of men to fulfill the covenant God had made with Abraham and to operate in the law of that covenant. Okay. Now, it's interesting to note that in all of the four Gospels, there is no indication that Jesus ever required or expected any of the Gentile, any of the Gentiles to keep the law because it wasn't for us. That's why. Now, do not think that the Gentiles, the Gentile believers or, or you know, or fancy free. OK. And that they do not have uh, things that we are supposed to have. You know, we have a law under the new covenant. We have responsibilities as Christians, but we need to keep things in perspective like they are supposed to be. Okay. We are not to mix oil and water together. We all know oil and water don't mix. Now, I want to start discussing the new covenant versus the old covenant. Now, in the second chapter of Ephesians, we're going to start looking at some scripture. We see a tremendous revelation concerning God's relationship to those who are considered Gentiles. Now, go to Ephesians 2, verse 11. E Ephesians 2, verse 11. And I am reading from the New King, Cha King James versions. Okay. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Hmm. Okay. Now the implication here is that the people to whom Paul was writing were not considered as Gentiles when he was writing to them. No. 
they were the church, the body of Christ at Ephesus. Now, originally, they were Gentiles. However, when they accepted Christ as their savior and embraced the gospel of the Lord Jesus, they left the realm of the Gentiles. Now, as far as God was concerned, they had entered into the third group known as the church. Okay. Now, as far as God is concerned, there are only three ethnic groups of people on the face of this earth. Now, the anthropologists have divided mankind into many different groups, but God recognizes only three classes of men and women on this planet. Planet, I'm sorry. Okay. Now, one is the Jew. Anybody not a Gentile is a Jew. Anybody is a Jew is not a Gentile. Okay. Now, the second is the Gentile. And the third is the body of Christ. Those are the only three groups of people that God recognized. Now you can choose to believe it or not. See, God is not a racist. He's not prejudiced. We're only separated by people who are not in Christ. Okay. Now the body of Christ is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Now, once a person accepts Christ as his or her personal savior, he or she moves out of the realm of being a Jew or a Gentile from a spiritual standpoint, okay? And he or she moves into the realm of being a member of the body of Christ. Now, Paul is writing to a group of people who apparently were formerly Gentiles because he reminds them of their former status, okay? Let's read 11 again before we read verse 12. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Did you hear that? Made in the flesh by hands. Okay. When God established the covenant with Abraham, he gave him a sign or a seal of that covenant, which was circumcision. The males under that covenant were to have the foreskins of their penises removed after they were eight days old. Now that was the sign of the covenant. And it was a sign in the flesh. That seal will always be there. There was no way uh, one could get rid of that, that seal. Once that child was circumcised, that was it. Now it was a sign for all times. Now during the time of Paul, those of the Jewish ancestry were called either Jews, Israelites, or Hebrews or because of their uh, Abrahamic covenant and the seal of that covenant, which was circumcision. Now, read, let's read verse 12 of Ephesians. Okay. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Wow. Now, if you are without God and without hope in this world, then you have to also be without the covenant of God. Okay? That is without the blessings of God, and therefore it would not do you any good to follow the dictates of the covenant. Okay? Aliens. The Bible says we were aliens. Now, alien is a foreigner. Now, one who is a foreigner or an alien is one who does not have the legal rights which are guaranteed to those who are legal citizens of a particular country or nation. Now, when a person is a foreigner, he is outside the benefits of the country he is residing in. Now, he, he is an alien. Simple as that. Now, this is what verse 12 is saying about the Gentile world. You know, that is talking about every non-Jew before he or she accepted Christ as Savior were foreigners. We were foreigners to God. Now, if you are a stranger from the covenant, how are you supposed to keep the law of the covenant? I'm wondering that. Hmm. Okay. Now, I'm going to give you an example. Now, now, when you go to a foreign country, you are there by grace. You know, you may have a visa or a passport, but, but you are just a visitor. The officials could boot you out 
as quickly and as often as they want to. You are not a citizen. You are not considered a citizen. Now, you, you have no rights in that country. Now, in other words, you are a stranger from the covenant of citizenship. Now, this is the same thing Paul is talking about. He said that as Gentiles, we are aliens. We were strangers from the covenant of promise that God made to the Jews. Now, therefore, how could you possibly be under the law of the covenant when you are a stranger to the covenant? We had no hope without God in the world, Ephesians say. Now, if you are without God, you have to be without the law of God. Now, if you do not have God, how are you going to have his law? I'm asking these questions because we're leading up to something here. How could you be required to keep his law if you were not a part of that covenant? Now, no one was under the law in the days of Christ, but the Jews, okay? I think I need to say that again. No one was under the law in the days of Christ, but the Jews. Now, what did Jesus come to earth for? Most everyone thinks, including me at one time, that Jesus came to die at Calvary. But that is actually, you know, the, him dying at, Cal Cal at, at, at Calvary was actually a residual benefit of his coming. Jesus came to fulfill the covenant all that God had promised Abraham and all the things God had promised will come to pass, were going to come to pass through the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. Now, Jesus came to fulfill the covenant. Now, since this is the case, this should tell us then that when the covenant was fulfilled, the covenant would stop functioning. Are y'all following me? the covenant would stop functioning once it was fulfilled. Now, when the covenant stopped functioning, it means it is no longer in force because it is no longer needed and it no longer exists. Now, how then can someone 2,000 years later be required to keep the law of a covenant that is not even in force? I want y'all to tell me that. Write in, tell me. I want you to tell me how we are supposed to keep a covenant 2,000 years later that's not even in force. The covenant was fulfilled, saints. Now, now, consequently, the law of the covenant stopped functioning. But guess what also stopped functioning? The priesthood ceased to minister before Jehovah. That was a part of the old, old covenant, okay? And the sacrifices that the priests would bring into the Holy of Holies and, and, and bring to the altar once a year for your sins no longer had any meaning whatsoever. All of that ceased. They have been fulfilled. We do not need them anymore. Are you following me? Now, when Jesus came to fulfill the old covenant, he established a new covenant with a new priesthood and with a brand new group of people. The first people who were covenant people were born of circumcised parentage. Abraham was circumcised as the sign of the covenant God had established with him. That means when he and his wife had a child, that child came as a result of circumcised parentage. Are y'all with me? Now the second people who were covenant people were born of the spirit. That's us. And instead of circumcision of the flesh that was made by hands, we have circumcision of the spirit. That is circumcision of the heart in their inner man. The circumcision of the new group of people is known as the new birth. Okay. Now let's go to Romans. Romans chapter two. I'm going to be reading from the traditional King James version with this. Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Now, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. 
and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, the letter meaning the law, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Now the church is what I would consider the spiritual Israel. That's, that's, that's what I would consider. Um, that's not biblical, the term spiritual Israel, but the principles are here. It makes sense and, and it fits right here. Being that Jews were God's chosen people at one time, but not anymore. They are not his chosen people today. The church is those who are in Christ are his chosen people. Now the Jewish people who are in the world today have a heritage that goes back to the covenant God established with Abraham. They inherited some things from the covenant God established with Abraham. Now you see, we're going in deep waters. I want y'all to get this. Now, even though at this present time the old covenant has been set aside God still remembers that special covenant relationship he had with Abraham and subsequently with Abraham's descendants now the body of Christ is is spiritual spiritual Israel there's a physical Israel and there's what I call a spiritual Israel okay the spiritual Israel was under the Abrahamic covenant now, we as Christians are spiritual Israel because we, too, have a special covenant relationship with the heavenly father. Therefore, we can say we are spiritual Jews. OK. OK, I hope you all following this now. Now, you cannot have circumcision of the heart until you are born again. And you cannot be born again until you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Okay. Now, when I tell you that principles are there, this is a perfect example. Um, cause I've had some say, well, I ain't never seen in the Bible. Uh, uh, it says, if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God's raised you from the dead. You say, I don't hear them say a uh, personal relationship with God. Well, the reason <laughs> the principle is there is because if you confess with your mouth, not somebody else, if you confess with, with your mouth and if you believe in your heart, not somebody else's heart, that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. That's why you can say personal, okay? Now, when you become born again, you change from the old man of sin into a new man in Christ Jesus. Now, however, this time, instead of the seal of the covenant with God being an outward physical sign, which was the circumcision of the flesh, it is a spiritual sign, okay? A spiritual sign. The circumcision of the heart. Okay. Uh, God has a new law for a new people. Now with this new creation people came the new law. Now if we have a new covenant, we have to have a new law. Are you following me? There was the old covenant God had established. And with that covenant was the law. The Ten Commandments. Which was formed as a part of the law. Now. If we have a new covenant, then that ought to tell us that the old covenant must have been superseded by the new covenant. Now, if you have a new covenant, that means the old covenant is not in operation. And if the old covenant is not in operation, neither is the law of the old covenant. So that puts the Ten Commandments out of business. Do you follow me? Now, I'm, I'm not opposed to the Ten Commandments. You know, I, I do not personally have anything against the Ten Commandments. All I want to do is to show you where we as Christians are from in a standpoint of what the Bible says, rather than from the standpoint of what theology and, and denominationalism and traditionalism have to say. Now, so that we can get in line with the word of God and receive the benefits of the new covenant. We need to talk about the new covenant. Now, if we have a new covenant, then we have some benefits that follow. And we ought to be walking in those benefits. Now you cannot compromise the rights of the new covenant by trying to hang on to the old covenant benefits that you were never even a part of. Okay. Now Christians are, they're already struggling to keep the 10 commandments you know, which is the old law of the old covenant. Now, this is not, it's not enforced people, saints. The 10 commandments is not enforced today. And y'all need to know this. It's all biblical. 
and and neglecting to keep the law of the new covenant you will fall into trouble just like the children of Israel did when they start violating the law and it's a shame because the spirit of God is calling the church back to the law of the new covenant just as Jesus was calling Israel back to the law of the old covenant when he walked the earth he was calling them back he was calling them away from their traditions he was calling them away from their theologies. He was calling them away from what they had said and what they thought and called themselves walking in the laws of God. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. God, Jesus was calling them back to the original law of what God had established with Moses. Now, Christians are under a new covenant now and we have a law and we need to learn how to operate in that law. Now, John chapter 13, and I taught on this before, saying a new commandment I give you, we should love one another, okay? John chapter 13. Now, when we find the law of the new covenant, now, this is gonna be the Lord Jesus Christ himself speaking. He is the one who fulfilled the old covenant. He is the one who established the new covenant. And he is the one who has outlined very clearly and definitely the law of the new covenant. And I have my, uh, the old Testament open. So I'm gonna continue reading from the old Testament. This is the Lord Jesus Christ talking in John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. If ye have love for one another, excuse me. Wow. By this, Jesus said, he didn't say by casting out demons and, and by laying hands on the sick or, or by, by paying your tithes or giving gifts and offerings, not by going to church 15 to 20 times a week. That is not what Jesus said. That is not what Jesus said. We ought to do these things now. But now I ain't going to church no 15, 20 times a week. I wouldn't even call people to come to my church 15, 20 times a week. But you know what I'm saying. But Jesus did not say that this is the way the world would know we are his disciples. He said we would be known by the love we show one another. Love is the new law. Love is the new covenant that the new church, the rebirth is under. Love is the law. Love is the law of the new covenant. Jesus did not say a new suggestion, some new options I give unto you. He said a new commandment. This means you do not have a choice whether or not you're gonna walk in love or not. If you choose not to, you have chosen to remove yourself from under God's new commandment, new covenant with us, and you are in violation. That's what this means. I told you I was going to say some stuff that was going to hit home. See, you're not hearing this from the pulpit. Because if you hear it from the pulpit, you're going to run. You're going to take your money and leave. They don't want to hear that today. They want your money. Now, if you walk under the covenant and call yourself blood bought and, and blood washed, you have an obligation to keep the law of the new covenant. And the law is a law of love. It does not mean running around hugging your brothers and sisters and, and patting them on the backs. It means treating your brother and sister right. It means, and I taught on this, uh, I think recently, walking in the fruit of the spirit, which is filled with love. You know, it means treating your sister right, your brother right, your neighbor right. That is what it's talking about. It means to stop running our brothers and sisters down with our mouths. It means to stop lying about people or stop lying on them, okay? Stop lying to them, to stop being envious and jealous of them, stop being strifeful. This is what walking in love means. And we really don't have a choice. If you are not walking in the new, under the new covenant, you are in violation. Therefore, you have forfeited the promises of God. See, you ain't being told this truth. Now, the Bible says that love works no ill towards one, one neighbor or his brother or sister. 
That's in Romans chapter 13. Now, this is why God does not have, have to give you a thou shalt not do this or thou shalt not do that. Because if you love me, you will not lie to me or about me. If you love me, you will not steal from me. If you love me, you will not try to go to bed with my husband. If you love your neighbor, you will not try to go to bed with his wife. Now, Jesus said the world would know that we are his disciples because we are concerned about each other. We treat each other right. We do not talk about each other. We do not run one another in the ground. You talking about what she wore to church last week. What does that have to do with the covenant? We ain't gonna lie on our neighbor. We ain't gonna bear false witness. Everything that the Ten Commandments stand for is under the law of love. Okay? Oh, I know it's hitting home to some people. You know, if you love your sisters and brothers, you will not lay down and commit fornication with them. Okay? Yeah, I said it. I said it because we need to hear it. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus did not say. He didn't say a new commandment I give unto you that you love the world. That ain't what he said. He said that by your love for one another, the world will recognize you are my disciples. Okay. Now I have never seen this kind of love before. Why is that? That is what the world's reaction would be. If they seen this type of love being demonstrated, they'd be like, Ooh, wow kind of love is that I want to get to know that God that is the law of the new covenant and Jesus said it as a commandment not a suggestion you have a commandment to love me now you don't have to like me but you have to love me I don't have to like you but I have to love you and I do now under the old covenant they had a high priest under the new covenant we also have a high priest Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, is our high priest. Now in Hebrews 8, uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary, and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, and now man noticed what it says here we have such an high priest Jesus is our high priest the Levitical priesthood was done away with Jesus is our high priest not no man sitting in a boot not no man wearing these apparels and walking around with these golden trinkets Jesus is our high priest now if I offended some of you I'm not sorry for that because I'm speaking the truth you just read, I just read a bunch of stuff to you. What went on in the, in, in the old covenant. And when that ended, so did the priesthood. When the old covenant was in operation, there was a law, a priesthood and a physical place of worship. The temple, the temple was divided into three compartments. The original, it was the original portable tabernacle that was built under Moses and it was designed according to this plan. And when Solomon built a permanent temple for Jehovah God, it was built after the pattern of the tabernacle. Now in the three sections of the temple, there was the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies, or the most holy place. Only the high priest could go into the holy of holies once a year. And I mentioned that earlier. I knew I was getting to it. That's why I shut up about it because I'm trying to stay in within my notes. Now, the reason God made the temple the way he did was because he wanted the temples designed to correspond with or to represent the threefold nature of man. And I know you have never heard this before because they ain't teaching this in the church. Okay? The temples were designed to correspond with or to represent the threefold nature of man. Now, inside the Holy of Holies was what was called the mercy seat. On either side of the mercy seat were two angels with their wings outstretched, looking like eagles, but they were angels. 
Now they were overshadowing and protecting the mercy seat. Now once a year, God Almighty will come down in his Shekinah glory and he will reside at the mercy seat. The high priest will come and he will go into the Holy of Holies and minister to God on behalf of the people. That was the threefold nature of man. Now the body and the flesh of man correspond to the outer court. Now the holy place corresponds to the soul of man and the holy of holies or the most holy place correspond to the man's spirit. Now God is not to be met in the outer court. God is not in the holy place, but God resides on the mercy seat in the inner man, in our hearts. In the Holy of Holies, the spirit of man. That's where God resides today. Now, sometimes Christians get caught up in what, what they hear preachers say. And I used to do the same thing. And they, and they do, you know, they don't really read the Bible for themselves. They don't. That's why when you tell them something biblical, they be looking at you like you a foreigner. Huh? No, it doesn't matter what mama told you over the years since you were a child. You have the thought ever crossed your mind that mama was wrong? That mama was wrong because she was taught wrong. Mama ain't did nothing wrong. Is that if you if you follow false teaching and you don't know nothing else, you gonna you, that's what you're gonna do. Now I used to be guilty of that at one time. Not no more, buddy. Not no more. You know, I I would wind uh, wind down and 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 say things like hallelujah, and and then concluding that Jesus. Uh, yeah, he died on the cross. And when he was about to give up the ghost, he cried, it is finished. You know, I used to be ignorant. Okay. I would just walk around. Yeah. Praise God. And thinking all that was all to it. Now, when Jesus said it is finished, we all thought <laughs> that meant salvation was bought and paid for, you know, that was it. it you know, we've signed, sealed and delivered. That's not true. That's not true. This talking Bible truth with Dr. Kamala D. I'm sharing the truth with you, okay? We're going deep into these scriptures. Now, salvation was not finished when Jesus died on the cross. Jesus had not even died yet when he said that. When he made that statement, he was still alive. Men were still under bondage. They were still in sin. No, uh-uh. He was not talking about salvation being finished. No, he wasn't. In fact, salvation had not even started because it would not start until Jesus went into hell and it would not be over until he rose from the dead. So what did Jesus mean when he said it is finished? Okay. He meant that the Abrahamic covenant was finished. That's what he meant. He meant the old Testament was finished. He meant that a new covenant What's coming? Praise God for that. Oh, because we are under a new covenant with better promises. Now, Jesus, I'm going to read Matthew. Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 and 51. Matthew 27, 50 and 51. Pause it if you need to, but I, um, for the sake of time, because we are already uh, reaching an hour, um, I want to get through these scriptures. Now, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yield up the ghost or either the spirit and behold the veil of the temple was was ripped in two from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks rent there was a veil between the holy place and the holy of holies only the high priest could go back into the holy of holies once a year and he had to come with blood the sacrificial blood of the atonement now, if he did not do that, he would be struck dead instantly. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, that's what happened in the Old Testament. If, he, if, the, if the high priest didn't do that, he would be struck dead instantly. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, he came to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. Now, he said in, in Matthew verse 17 that he did not come to destroy the law or the prophets, rather, he came to fulfill the law. Jesus was known as Shala. And the Bible said that the sceptre should not depart from Judah 
nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shalah comes. Now that's in Genesis chapter 49. Jesus Christ is Shalah and he has come. Oh yes, he has come in the flesh. When Jesus said it is finished and bowed his head and yielded up the ghost, the Bible said that the mighty angel came into the temple, into the holy place and grabbed the veil that was hanging from the ceiling and separating the people in the holy place from the holy of holies and tore it in two from the ceiling to the floor. Oh yes. Now the way of access to God was made open. Hallelujah. Praise God. We don't have to go through man anymore. When Jesus died on that cross, gave up to go, went to hell, took the keys from the devil, rose again. He opened the door for us to go into the Holy of Holies and talk to our father ourselves. We don't need a mediator. Jesus is the, when Jesus said he is the mediator between you and God, that's what he's saying. He paved the way for us to go to God. We can go directly into the throne room of God. The Bible tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. That's in Hebrews chapter four. Now the covenant has been fulfilled. We have access to God. When that veil was torn in two, that meant that the sacrifices stopped. The animal sacrifices are gone. It meant that the high priest's office stopped. It meant that the covenant and the law was finished. Jesus has established a new law and it is the law of love. Now, you have to make a decision. Am I going to follow a denomination that's teaching me to follow the, the Ten Commandments, the old covenant that was never even given to us? We were not even in that covenant. It's like someone filing a class action lawsuit with someone who was hit by a train because the conductor fell asleep and you were two blocks down when that happened. And then in court, you want to go sit in court as if you are a part of that lawsuit. That's the best example I can give. We're not under the old covenant. Okay. So I want you to rest on that. Next week, we are going to move into a different message included in the same series. Wow. I hope you enjoyed part one of A New Covenant with Better Promises. If you have any questions or comments about what you've just heard, please don't hesitate to send them to trustgod 55 dot cd at gmail.com and i will be more than happy to personally answer your questions now next week's episode is entitled part two the ten commandments are the ten commandments for the new covenant today hmm. well you will have to tune in to find out remember we are going on this truth journey you have to keep the spirit of truth hat on and put that scuba gear on because we will continue to go into deep waters. So until next time, we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D, rightly dividing the truth in peace and love. See you next time.